At the beginning of the year, we at Bridges Community Church began a discussion on breaking the mold. In our new sermon series titled, I Am a Bridge, we continue this discussion as we check out what it looks like to become a bridge to our friends, family, and community to meet Jesus head on. Join us as Pastor Nate shares from God's Word how we can say with confidence, I am a bridge. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good. All right. Okay. Kind of early. Sweet. Well, hey, we are continuing uh, really this series, uh, I Am a Bridge. And just in case you haven't kind of made the connections yet, this is just another way of saying the Breaking the Mold campaign, which we've been on all year, which is how do we break out of the mold of our just unintentional living and make a difference in our community. And for this series, we're specifically calling it I am a bridge. How do we be a bridge in our community? So think about a bridge for just a second. How many of you uh, would say that you cross a bridge at least every day to go to work? All right, so those of you, probably you raise your hands, you are probably people that live like across the bay, right? But I begin to think about this, like how many bridges do I cross on a daily basis? And so I actually tried to count from my house to work, and I don't have a long enough attention span to remember uh, so I got to about 13, and then every, that's as highest I got. And then I'd like lose track and listen to the radio. And, but every overpass I cross, every, and in fact, I think there's only one bridge that I cross that's actually over water. But we use bridges all the time in our life, right, to get places, to get from one side of something to another. Uh, Becca and I, we were traveling, this is years ago, we were down in uh, Guatemala, and we had rented this car, and we had to return the car to the airport and get on our flight to go home. And we were running late. And uh, if you've ever driven in Guatemala City, it's, it's really a challenging place to drive. And at least like 10 years ago, there was this major freeway. And I'm not exactly sure the, the full point of this freeway, um, but it kind of went around like the west side of the city, and it was awesome. After being stuck in just traffic, we got on this freeway, and it was just incredible. We're flying down this freeway. But the problem was is we had to get to the kind of east side of the freeway, and we're going south on it. So we're on the west side of this freeway. And we could not find any way to cross over the freeway. There was no overpasses or underpasses. So we kept getting off the road and like trying to find a way to get over. And there was, there was nothing. It, it seems like they built this freeway without any overpasses. Now, obviously, if you live there, you probably understand how to get around on this thing. But, but we couldn't. And so after being just frustrated and getting lost in these little side streets, we ended up taking this freeway all the way like 20 miles until we left town. And it turned into a little highway. And we were able to make a U-turn and come back up north up this thing to get off onto the side we wanted. And what I realized is there was these little communities that were separated from each other by this freeway. Communities that probably used to be next-door neighbors, right, before they built this new mega freeway. People that, that were right there. And now, all of a sudden, after this freeway went in, they're over an hour distance from each other because there's no bridge connecting the two communities. And I was thinking about our, our church, and I think in some ways our church can kind of be like that, that, that we are right here in the middle of Fremont. All of us uh, have jobs that we, we work at, communities that we're involved in, schools that we go to or our kids go to, families that we're part of. And yet sometimes there can be this divide between our Christian community, those who we go to church with, who we're in Bible studies with, who we worship together on a Sunday morning, who we talk about spiritual things with, and our non-Christian community, everybody else in our life. And, and there can be this separation. And so this morning, I want us to ask the question, how can I be a bridge? 
How can I draw the connection of these two communities together? And that's the sermon series we're on. So last week, Pastor Ron talked about I am a bridge and prayer and the importance of prayer and being a bridge. And that prayer is kind of the foundational pillars of being a bridge. That's what holds us into solid land. That's what, what holds us to truth, what, what founds us in what matters. This week, we're going to talk about invite. And invite, I'm saying, is like the cross, the support pieces. If you imagine like the Golden Gate Bridge, this is the cables that draws the two sides together. Or if you think of a more of a suspension bridge, you know, this is the trusses that, that kind of, or a truss bridge. This is what holds from one side to the other. Now, invite's not the finished step. The finished step we'll get to in two weeks, and that's engage. And that's engaging our community, our friends, in spiritual conversations. And we're going to say that's kind of like the roadway, if you will. That's, that's how things pass from one side to the other, how we get across. And, and so this week, though, we're going to focus on, on really the word invite. And to do that, we're going to jump over to uh, John 1. John 1, 35, if you want to open your Bibles, that'd be awesome. And uh, in John, what's really cool about this passage is, is Jesus is just starting out his ministry on earth, and he's drawing together his first disciples. And I think there's a lot we can learn from him in his model, and really the model of these early disciples is not only do they get invited into community with Jesus, they also invite their friends and family um, in. So starting in verse 35, it says this, and the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, John in this, this sentence is John the Baptist, okay? So John, with some of his disciples, a group of his disciples, he sees Jesus go by and he says this, behold, the Lamb of God. And two of his disciples heard him saying this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him for that day, for it was the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So here's these two disciples are hanging out with John the Baptist. They're obviously seeking spiritual truth. And John the Baptist goes, hey, you know that guy I've been talking about? The Lamb of God, there he is. So they, they jump over and they start following him. And these two guys, Andrew and most likely John, the guy who wrote the book of John, they, they don't name him in this passage, but they start following Jesus and Jesus says, hey, come and see. Come and stay the day with me. And we don't know what happened that day, but something transformed uh, their minds so much. They were so impressed with who Jesus was that Andrew had to go get his brother. He goes, hey, Cephas, Cephas, come check this guy out. This guy is amazing. And, and he comes and he meets Jesus and Jesus changes his name. It's, it's a really incredible thing. Then going on to verse 43, it says, and the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city that Andrew, of Andrew and Peter. So Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in him and whom there is no deceit. 
Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said to him, because I say to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than this. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angel of God ascend and descend on the son of man. Isn't this a a pretty amazing passage when you think about it? In two days, Jesus draws together some of the most important founders, leaders of the early church through inviting. And not only did these guys come just because of the invite of Jesus, they're so excited and passionate that they go out and they get their friends, their brother, their friends, and they say, come see this guy. So I want us to just take a moment and uh, take a look at what can we learn for this model. Now, I know there's a lot of kids here, right? How many, are there kids in here? Raise your hand, kids. Raise your hand. There we go. Yeah. Awesome. Now, I know you guys were super excited to hear an adult pastor preach a 35-minute sermon this morning. Am I right? <laughs> Woo! What you dreamed of. Your parents make you go to that fun children's class. So here, let me, let me help you out. I'm going to tell you everything I'm going to tell your parents, but I'm going to tell you in 30 seconds, okay? So when you guys go home tonight, when your parents say what you learned, you will know everything they know. It's just going to take them a little bit longer to learn the same thing, all right? And so here's what you need to know. You need to know this, that being a bridge, inviting, means inviting your non-Christian friends to connect with your Christian friends so that they can see Jesus lived out in your life. Okay, you got it? Invite your non-Christian friends to hang out with your Christian friends so that they can see Jesus lived out in your life. All right, now go back to coloring or drawing or poking holes in your bulletin with your pencil, whatever it is you like to do. And uh, I'm going to spend some time with your parents. Parents, if you got it now, if you've got it figured out, you can go poke holes in your bulletin and draw too, if that (laughs) makes you feel better. All right, so so what's this model that we see laid out here in, in John, the book of John? And I think it's the first thing I see is that we should invite others to come and be, not necessarily come and do. See, this, these two disciples, Andrew and John, they had this amazing opportunity to just come and see, to interact with Jesus, to experience him. They got to do ordinary things with somebody extraordinary. This is a pretty amazing concept, to do something ordinary with somebody extraordinary. Like, I, I kind of wonder, if I could go back in time, Like, if I could spend one day with, say, like, Abe Lincoln, right? Would I want to go back and would I want to spend that day with him on the Gettysburg Address, this historic day where I could just kind of stand in the wings and see him with all of his advisors crafting this thing and just the intensity of that? That would be pretty incredible. But it might be more insightful to spend the day with him on the day after he delivered the address, right? And just to see how he interacts with his family. How does he deal with the pressure of what's going on? What does he do when all of his advisors have left the room and he's been there with just his friends and the people he cares most about? That would probably be more insightful on who he is and what makes him tick, right? That would probably be, in some ways, maybe even more interesting. And in a way, I think that's a little bit about what Jesus does here. He says, these disciples, they said, hey, uh, where are you staying? Kind of rabbi, teacher, what's going on? And he says, just come, stay. And he invites them back to where he's staying. Now, he's not from this area of Jordan, uh, along the Jordan River. So he might be camping out. He might be staying in a room. And we don't even know what they do. They don't record any sermons that he preached or any healing ceremonies that goes on. I would be willing to bet it was a relatively ordinary day. 
He might have been kind of doing some dishes, cleaning up, getting his laundry kind of done. And as they're doing that, they're sitting there and they're talking. And after that, they are so convinced that who he is that Andrew has to run out and get his brother Peter and say, I have found the Messiah. This guy is it. See, it's pretty amazing when we do life together with people, we really get to know each other, huh? I've had an opportunity about the last couple weeks uh, of almost 100 of you spending a week at a dirty ranch in Mexico with you guys. And I know a lot about you right? Those hundred of us that have gone down there, I know how long you brush your teeth, right? I know if you floss or if you don't floss. I know if when you wake up in the morning, you're cranky or if you're, you know, a joy to be with in the morning, right? I know how you treat your kids. I know how you treat your spouse. And guess what? You guys know all that about me also. And as a result, some of the people I care most about in this church are people that have spent a week at that dirty little ranch really getting to know you. And that's what Jesus invites us to do. In John 15, Jesus is talking about how he is the vine and we are the branches. And his command to us is remain in me. Come, spend time with me, see me. Now, obviously, there's a lot more to the Christian life than just remaining in Jesus, than just hanging out with Jesus. There is all kinds of shoulds, right? We should be people who, who hold to a, a moral code of godliness, We should be people who love our family, our spouses, our friends. We should be people who are generous, right? We should be people who read our Bible, who go to church. These are all the shoulds that we should do in life, and these are important to the Christian walk. But Jesus doesn't start his invitation with this. Instead, he doesn't tell the disciples, okay, if you want to follow me, here's what you should do. First, you got to come, you got to volunteer for my healing campaigns, and then I need you to come back, and I need you to to hold my Bible for me while I'm teaching, and then I need you to... He doesn't start with those things. He says, come and see, and those are the same things that I think he's given all of us as an invite. And so if if this is Jesus's invitation... Maybe our invitation should look a little bit more like this. Instead of starting off with, hey, this is what you should do. You should uh, hold to this moral code. You should believe this about the creation of the world. You should know this. You should do this. Instead, what if our invite looked a little bit more like Jesus and said, come and see. Come and experience Jesus with me. It's incredible. He will blow you away. And I think when we invite people into relationship with us and our Christian friends, something amazing happens. When we are living uh, for Jesus, when Jesus is living out in our life, our friends have an opportunity to see Jesus in our lives. Matthew five sixteen, 16, uh, Jesus says, our light can shine out amongst others so that they will see our good deeds and give thanks to the Father. This is the way God designed us to be so that our lifestyle will reflect him. But how are our friends, how are our family going to see that if we don't invite them into relationship with us? If we just keep them as coworkers, if we just keep them as people, acquaintances that we know. But this requires time, right? And I don't know about you guys, but my schedule is too busy for this kind of relationship. I got too much going on to really invite people into my life. It's so much easier to just keep my little communities kind of separate. And these are the people I go to church with. These are the people I work with. These are the, well, for me, that's a little easier to bridge together, right? But uh, <laughs> these are the people I recreate with and say, let's, let's bring these together. Let's invite people in to, to see and experience Jesus in our lives. And when we do that, it allows some authenticity to come out in our life. 
Let's just imagine you invite somebody over and they, they spend the afternoon with you and some of your Christian friends at a barbecue at your house. And, and they see the way when, when the, the meat gets overcooked and you start to fight with your spouse. They see the way you deal with that situation, right? When your kid mouths off and you want to just go crazy on him and you don't, they see that. Or when you hike up Mission Peak and, and you take a moment to just say, wow, isn't God the creator, amazing. They, they see God lived out in our life as we, we live life together. So let's invite people to come and see, not just come and do. The next point I see in this is that we need to invite others to meet Jesus, not just attend a program. But it's easier sometimes to invite people just to attend a program, right? Come to church with me. Come to Impact Day. Come to this Christian concert with me. And I'm not trying to say that those are bad things. In fact, I think those are great opportunities to build relationships with people, to connect with people. But the goal is not to get somebody to go to a program. The goal of breaking the mold, the goal of all the names we are praying for in here is not to fill our pews up. That is not the goal. That doesn't matter in the long scheme of things. The goal is that people come and know and worship Jesus. That is what we're all about as a church. That is what ultimately matters, and that is what mattered to these early disciples, right? Andrew, he goes and gets his brother. He doesn't go, hey, let me tell you about this healing campaign that I get to volunteer for. Let me tell you about this teaching I get to sit under. Let me tell you about this rabbinical school that I just signed on to be a part of. He says, come and see Jesus, the Messiah. See, these early disciples, they were expecting probably more of a program. When they first went and they met Jesus, Andrew and John, they said, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? And I think a little bit of what they're saying is, hey, where's your office? Where do you set up shop? You know, in those days, the rabbis went around, they, they formed these little rabbinical schools around them, and they traveled around the country, and they would amass their disciples, and there was these strenuous codes of conduct that their disciples would have to follow through in order to adhere to this program. And that's probably what they originally were expecting, yet Jesus blows them away and says, no, it's about a relationship with me. That's, that's what I want from you. And this is why they walked away saying, this Jesus, he's the Messiah, this is the one we're looking for. He's the Savior. This is what gets us so excited. And they're so excited by this that they run out and they tell others. I don't know about you, but I think especially if you became a follower of Jesus later in life, can you remember the excitement that you had when you first met Jesus? When you first, not a program, not when you first started attending a church, that probably didn't bring a lot of excitement to you. But when you first experienced Jesus as your Savior, I know that's, a, that's an incredibly joyful thing. But over time, that, that kind of fades for some of us, right? It's, it's not that it's any less true, but it just, we don't have that same passion and excitement sometimes. I remember I was, uh, my freshman year in college, I got to go to a school called Point Loma down in San Diego. And it's the most beautiful campus of the school. It's right on these bluffs overlooking the ocean. And the sunsets there are incredible. And probably for the first two months, Every time the sun would set, I'd go out onto the back kind of behind our dorm room and just watch the sun set over the ocean and just be amazed with it. But after time went on, I, I was a little less amazed with the sunsets, right? And I remember one time I'm sitting in my room and the sunset is so brilliant that it's shining off my computer screen and I couldn't do my homework. And I remember being frustrated with it going, oh man, this red is just blinding. All right. And that's a sunset. It's not a big deal. It's dust particles in the air, right? You know, it's, it's beautiful. But, but when did we lose just this joy and this excitement of Jesus? And when have we, and I think when we lose that, we, we kind of cease to invite people to experience him. And maybe we get more focused on the religion or the program 
And we need to remember that we get to invite people to see and experience Jesus. This is what changed the disciples' life. Look what happened in two days as these guys get excited. First, it starts out with John the Baptist. He says, check it out, guys. That, that's the guy. And two disciples kind of peel off, and they start following this Jesus guy, and they spend the day with him, and they're so blown away that one of them, Andrew's got to go get his brother Peter. And he says, Peter, you got to meet this guy. Uh, he's incredible. He's the Messiah. So Peter comes and meets him. Then they go up to Galilee, and they meet up with this other guy, Philip, who just happens to be from the same hometown as Andrew and Peter. I don't think that's a coincidence. I'm guessing that he was probably a childhood friend of Peter and Andrew. And Jesus meets this guy, and he invites this guy into community with him. And then this guy is so excited, he's got to go get his buddy Nathaniel. And he goes and gets Nathaniel. And because they're excited about who Jesus is, it grows and expands. And I think for us, it's the same thing, that we get to be excited about inviting people to meet Jesus, not come to a program. I heard a while back, I heard a pastor uh, kind of a famous pastor from Southern California preached this sermon to a bunch of pastors. And this guy, every Sunday, uh, led dozens of people to, to Jesus in his church service as he preached at the end of his service. And one day, he was talking with one of his neighbor friends, and one of his neighbor friends was asking all these questions about who Jesus was and these kind of deep, probing questions. And this pastor kind of froze up. He didn't know how to respond uh, to these questions. And so he did something kind of stupid. He said, why don't you come hear me preach on Sunday? I'll, I'll answer those questions for you there. And that guy went away, bummed out, never came to the church because he wasn't looking for a program. He was looking for Jesus lived out in this pastor's life and this pastor was broken, realized his, his, the brokenness in his own life. But he got so absorbed with the program. So let's not fall into that trap. Let's remember that, that for us, the invite is not about this church. It's not about bridges becoming a bigger church. It's not about more and more people becoming Christians. It's about people meeting Jesus. That, that is the hope of our invite. So what's the, the next point that we draw out of this? And that's inviting, that we should invite others to discover Jesus with us. I think it's really cool that Jesus forms this community around him. And these early disciples, the most important leaders of the early church, were not chosen just because of their merit or who they were and their, their skill set, but they were drawn in by a network of relationships, right? It's a brother. It's a friend. It's a childhood acquaintance. And Jesus uses this community as they are drawn together to, to really to draw more people to himself. It becomes about not just coming to meet Jesus. It's about coming into this, this group, this community, who together are learning to discover who Jesus is. This shouldn't shock us. This has always been the model of Scripture. When you look in the Old Testament, God's plan was to draw the nation of Israel together in such a way that they were to live out what it means to be a follower of God and so that the, the nations all around them would see this and they would become worshipers of God because of the community of Israel. And then we come into the New Testament, and it becomes about the church. It becomes about you and I, that we live our lives in community, not isolated, not individuals, but as a community, that people will see Jesus lived out in our life. And they'll be drawn into that community to discover Jesus with us. And I think this is what is kind of these support cables, right, of the bridge. This is what draws the two sides together. This is what holds everything up. It's us inviting others to come in to community with us. I heard an example of this last week, and I'm just really excited about it. 
There's a guy in our church who probably many of you know, and he's been praying for one of his coworkers, somebody that he's worked with for a long time that he cares about deeply. And when we began our Break in the Mold campaign, his coworker's name is written somewhere in this ball of names. And uh, he's been inviting his coworker to different impact events, and his coworker's been meeting more and more Christians who are trying to live out their Christian walk. And one day, this friend of mine was talking to another friend of his, another kind of colleague of theirs, who are both Christians. And he told this friend, he said, hey, I've been praying for our coworker that he comes to know Jesus. And he said, okay, I'll be praying for that too. And together, these two guys started sharing about Jesus with this coworker. And last month, that coworker discovered Jesus and is now a follower of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And it wasn't because one person said, this is my job, I've got to accomplish this. It's because the community of Jesus acted like the community of Jesus, and that is compelling. That is beautiful. That is attractive. So we need to invite other people to meet Jesus with us. So I think these are some points that we can draw, some things that we can think about. But there's also just some... um, there's three points that come out of this text. I think that we just should be aware. They're not necessarily things we need to do, but just things we need to understand about what happens when we invite other people to Christian community with us. And the first thing is that inviting others radically alters our perspective of Jesus, ourself, and others. So one of the things I love about this text is at each step, at each person that gets invited into community with Jesus, the community actually discovers a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. Right? So John, the Baptist, says, check it out. This is the Lamb of God. And that's got this deep historical prophetic um, ringings to it. Right? They're, they're hearing that, and they, they're connecting that back. And then Andrew and John, the disciple, they meet up with Jesus, and they realize that he's not just the Lamb of God. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. And they're excited about that. And then Philip comes into the community, and Philip realizes, yeah, he's not just the Messiah. He's not just the chosen one. He is the one that all Scripture points to. This is who Moses was writing about. This is who the prophets were writing about. Everything in our religious system points to this one guy, Jesus. And then Nathaniel hops in on it, and Nathaniel realizes, yeah, he's not just the one that's written about. He is the Son of God, the King of Israel. And at each step, with each person that gets invited into this community, the community discovers more and more about who Jesus is. And I think this, I think if we as a church are not inviting our friends, our family into community with us, we're not just robbing them of the opportunity to discover and to know Jesus. We are robbing ourselves of a depth of knowledge of who Jesus is, that we need their perspective in our life. Because as we invite people into this community, they're going to see aspects of Jesus that we missed. And we're going to go, dude, you're right. That's incredible. Wow, that's amazing. So our knowledge, our understanding, our love of who Jesus is actually deepens when we build these bridges. But it's not just about Jesus. It's also we discover a deeper understanding of ourselves and others when we do this, right? And look what happens with Peter here. Here Peter comes in and Jesus, it's funny to me that it always records this, but the gospels want us to know that that Jesus gave Peter his name, Peter, which means rock, stable one. And we've all known from all the stories we read about Peter that that is not the title we'd probably come up with Peter. In fact, if we're going to nickname Peter, that would just not be it. It'd be like calling your snake Fluffy, right? It's just not what you do. You know, you typically we nickname people things that we, we see in them, right? So I might like nickname Mark Bartlett, Macho Man Mark. You know, that would be maybe my nickname for him or 
Ken, uh, Pastor Ken would be like fantasy football Ken. You know what I mean? Like you, you just you label things that you see. And most of the time, the characteristics we see in each other are not always the way God designed us, that God designed us to be, to be pure, to be like him. And God looks into Peter's life and says, you know, Peter, I know you kind of fly off the handle. I know you're out of control sometimes, but I see a rock. I see stability, and I'm going to call you to that. And not only did Peter discover that about himself, the community discovers that about Peter. The other disciples, they're hearing this, and they're probably sitting back, and Andrew's probably going, are you talking about my brother? Rock? He throws rocks, but I don't know if you call him a rock, man. That's, you know, and the rest of the disciples, they, they discover. And so when we invite people into community with us, we discover things about these people that we never knew to be true. We see the way God designed them, the way God intended them, and they see that about us also. So when we discover Jesus with other people, we invite them in, it radically alters our perspective of him and of each other. So we need to be doing this. And the next thing is inviting others might be met with skepticism, right? It's easy when you read this, this first uh, account. Like, all this happens in two days, and it's pretty incredible. It seems like it's just flowing without a hitch. Like, Jesus is just putting the pieces in place, and everybody's like, yes, I'm involved. I'm good. But I think it's important that it, it labels here. It identifies, really, the skepticism of Nathaniel, right? He hears from Philip, and Philip's like, hey, I met this guy. This guy is incredible. He's the one, all the prophets, all, everything has been written about. And, and I would guess Nathaniel's like, that's what I've been waiting for. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm good. This is what I want to hear. Tell me more. And he goes, by the way, his name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's probably like, from Nazareth? You mean he's a hillbilly country folk? You're telling me this is the guy that we're, we're going to, this is the one? Pro-? I don't think so. I grew up in this small town, and our, our high school rival was uh, the town of Lebanon, Oregon. And I've actually never really spent any time in Lebanon. I know nothing about the town of Lebanon. If you're from there, I apologize uh, for what I'm about to say. But all we knew is they made good football players, and we were convinced that, because they, that that was because they were all a bunch of hillbilly pig farmers. That was like our stereotype of them, right? And we hated people from Lebanon, Oregon, right? And, oh, Lebanon, a bunch of hillbilly pig farmers. That's like all we knew about them. And to this day, if you were to tell me, hey, I know this man, he's going to be, or this woman, they're going to be a great world leader. They're going to change the world. They're from Lebanon, Oregon. <laughs> I'd look at you and go, yeah, no, that can't be right. <laughs> Lebanon, have you ever been there? I haven't, but they're hillbilly pig farmers, right? <laughs> uh, and I think that's a little bit what's going on for Nathaniel. He's going, no, that, that can't be Jesus from Nazareth. But that is the reality, that Jesus is a controversial figure. And when we invite our friends to come and experience Jesus with us, there is going to be skepticism. They're going to go, wait, wait, wait. You want me to hang out with a bunch of Christian people? No, I'm not into that. I'm not religious. I've seen the Simpsons. I know how Christians act, right? Or I'm Hindu. I, I don't, I don't want to hang out with Christians. I've got my own thing. Or you're just going to try to convert me or whatever their skepticism might be. And yet we see from Philip, and what Philip says here I think is so beautiful, he doesn't argue with Nathaniel. He doesn't try to defend Nazareth. He just says, come and see. Because if Jesus is who I think he is, if you come and see, it'll take your skepticism away. Come and experience him with us. Beck and I, we had an experience with this just this last week where we had invited some friends of ours to VBS. And uh, it was funny, the response we got. The response was, 
Okay, I've been to your pumpkin patch things. I've been to your Easter things. I've hung out with some of you and your Christian friends at birthday parties. But one week, religious camp? I think not. And at first, it was kind of like a hit. Like, oh, man, maybe they think less of us or this. And we had all these self-conscious thoughts. But I have to remember and I have to know that if they were to come and experience it, I know that they would have seen Jesus lived out in that VBS. And it could have changed the entire family's life. And so my response needs to be, come and see. The last point I want to say here is that inviting others requires no skill, right? And that's a little bit of an overstatement. Obviously, there's skills and ways to invite others. But sometimes I think we get so caught up in like knowing all the right answers, the apologetics, or we get so caught up in the form or how we're going to do this, we miss the point that it really is just about us inviting others. How much did these disciples know about Jesus when they went out and invited their brothers? They'd been a Christian for maybe at the most, Philip, maybe 48 hours. I don't know. We don't know. But it was within the course of two days, they're saying, come and see. And the reality of it is that inviting others doesn't require special skills. And so for you kids out here, you might want to chime back in. Let me tell you a secret. Your parents might be better at reading the Bible. They might be able to pray for longer periods of time. They might be better at leading a Bible study or doing some ministry thing. But there's one thing your parents are probably not better at than you. And that's being passionately excited about Jesus and inviting your friends to experience him. So your job for this week is to encourage your parents. It is to tell your parents that, Mom, Dad, we've got to do this. We can do this. We can invite somebody to come volunteer with us, to serve with us at Impact Day so they could do this with us. Or we, we should have a birthday party, or we should go on a hike, and we should invite this friend or that friend. I remember uh, our daughter is four years old, and this last Easter uh, she goes, not that one. She's younger than four. She's not just really small for her age. But uh, this last Easter, Olivia came home with a little thing from, BBA, or from Sunday school here that said, it was like an invite card to invite somebody to the Easter egg hunt. And she went and took that right to her friend Annabelle at school and said, I want to invite Annabelle. And Becca and I were kind of shocked by this because we've known Annabelle's parents for a while now, Becca's coworkers with them, and we've never invited them to anything. And here our daughter kind of showed us up. And then all of a sudden, we had to go talk to Annabelle's parents and say, we'd love for you to come and do this. See, inviting others is something that we can all do, and it just requires us being the bridge, stepping out and inviting others. One of the things we think is an awesome opportunity is Impact Day. We set up Impact Day, and one of our goals is we think that, that it is a great place for your friends to come and experience the church, not in a sermon, not in a worship service like this, but come experience what it means that, to be the church, to live it out. And we think that's a great place for you to invite your friends and family to be a part of. So let, let's, as a church, let's be a bridge into our community. I am a bridge. Let's, let's decide who we can be a bridge to. Let's pray. God, you are... Uh, You are an awesome God, and we can be a bridge because you were a bridge to us, that you bridged into our world, that you came down, you took on the form of a man, and you died for us so that we could spend eternity with you in heaven, and we are so amazed by that. We are so impressed with the gospel that we we stand here, and we want this for our community, for our friends, our neighbors. I pray uh, for this next Sunday that it's a time that you are glorified, that you are made famous that uh, our actions will be lived out in our community in such a way that they will see you and that they will know that you are, you are God, you are good, you are loving, you are compassionate. Uh, 
that you are a God who cares for this city. So you've called to us to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Bridges Podcast. Check out Bridges Community Church website at bridgescc.org for more information. 